If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25 this morning, which is a passage that concludes the second response that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are to have in light of our salvation. See, Peter is writing this letter to, as we've remembered many times, elect exiles, to those who have been chosen by God and yet are being rejected by this world. And Peter writes this letter to them and to us to guide us into knowing how to live in this world as elect exiles for the glory of God. Hence the title of this series, which is Christianity 101. This book is all about teaching us how to live in this world as followers of Jesus. This is a book on essential Christianity. That is important to remember. This is not a book describing to us exceptional Christianity, only to be achieved by those who are truly spiritually great among us. No, this is essential Christianity. This is the experience of every true follower of Jesus Christ. And it all begins, as verse 3 said in chapter 1, with this miracle of being born again. When God, by His mercy and power, pushes us into a new sphere of existence, into a brand new life. One that is marked by spiritual life, whereas before we were spiritually dead. One that is marked by a living hope. One that was before marked by condemnation and doom into a brand new life of supernatural faith, love, and joy that overcomes and that carries us through every trial and hardship that we come to in this life. This is our life as children of God. We saw this in verses 3 through 12. We have a wondrous salvation. And this great salvation has been all accomplished by the precious person of our salvation, Jesus Christ, as we were reminded of in verses 18 through 21. He who is most pure most preeminent, shed his own blood unto death on the cross for the redemption of his people, for you and me, if we've trusted in him. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And therefore, in light of this, in light of our salvation and our Savior, we cannot live how we once lived. No, we who have been born again have been called to a holy calling. And that calling is to respond to our salvation properly now that we have been made elect exiles of the king in light of everything jesus is and everything that jesus has done how ought we now to live in this world unto glory well peter gives this letter to us so that we would know how to do exactly that peter in this letter gives us six ways that we are to respond properly to our salvation we saw the first one back in verses 13 through 19 which is responding rightly to god for our salvation and that was to live a life frankly of worship towards god for our salvation the second way that we are to respond properly to our salvation is found in verses 22 through 25 which we looked at last week and that is by loving one another By loving one another. If we desire as elect exiles to respond to our salvation properly, then we must not only live a life of worship towards God, but we must live a life of love towards each other. On this, nothing less than the salvation of the lost and the glory of Jesus Christ in this world are at stake. If we want to be used by God to reach the lost, and if we want to be used by God to exalt Jesus Christ then that journey all begins right here by loving one another with a sincere brotherly love. A sincere brotherly love. 
We are to, we are to show the lost that we belong to Jesus by loving one another. It is brotherly love that attracts the world. And so if we're committed to reaching the lost for Jesus, and if we're committed to exalting Jesus Christ above all, then we can't get ahead of ourselves. We have to start here with loving one another. We can have full sanctuaries. We can have new buildings. We can have filled Sunday schools. We can have countless Bible studies and numerous outreaches and exploding bank accounts. But if we do not have love, we are nothing. Nothing. In our mission to exalt Jesus, and in our mission to reach the lost, we can't get ahead of ourselves. We have to start here with loving one another. Well, because this command to love one another is so critical, we better make sure that we know how to get there, and that's what we looked at last week. We looked at the prerequisite for loving one another at the beginning of verse 22, where Peter wrote, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That's the prerequisite. The only way that you can have a local church that is marked by sincere brotherly love towards each other is if there is first a purifying of souls going on by obedience to the truth. By obedience to the truth. See, truth is not an obstacle to showing love. It is not an obstacle to brotherly love. In fact, truth is the fertilizer for it. As truth is received into the soil of the heart, what springs out of that heart is love. Brotherly love. Sincere brotherly love. And so if we want to be marked by a sincere brotherly love, we've got to, every day, stand beneath the cleansing water of the Word of God and let our hearts be washed clean. So that's the prerequisite for loving one another. It is heartfelt submission and obedience to the word of truth. Well, this morning we're going to look at the last two points, which is, I guess you could say, the prescription for loving one another. There at the end end of verse 22, where we kind of see what brotherly love looks like, followed by the power for loving one another in verses 23 through 25. So we've seen the prerequisite. Now let's consider the prescription and power for loving one another. With that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22-25. through 25. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of God whose testimonies are righteous forever and who gives us understanding so that we may live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word which you have given to us today. Father, we thank you that you sanctify us 
by Your truth. Your Word is truth. And that this morning, Father, as we come under the teaching of Your truth, I pray, Father, that we would submit to it, that we would listen to it, that we would heed it, so that our souls and our hearts would be purified from ungodliness and from sin and would be sanctified under the loving of each other for the glory of Christ and the salvation of the lost. Father, I pray that You would be with me. Help me to accurately teach what is here in this passage. I pray that You would be with those who are here today. Give them ears to hear. Give them eyes to see. Give them hearts to believe and be changed. For it is when you change our hearts, O Lord, that our entire lives are transformed. So do a work in us this morning by your Spirit, through your Word. Do a work that will last for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Peter emphasizes the prerequisite for loving one another, he then gives us at the end part of verse 22 the prescription for loving one another. When he says this, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, here it is, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That is the second response that we are to have as elect exiles for the glory of God in this world. If we want to glorify God and exalt Jesus Christ in this world and reach the lost, then we've got to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In light of everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done, we must love one another sincerely and earnestly. That is the central command of these verses. We are to love with a special love, Those whom God has loved with a special love also. We are to set our love on those whom God has set His love on in Christ. And that word love is agapao in the Greek and it's essentially describing an active love of the will. I'm not asking you this morning, do you like all of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do do their personalities match up with yours? I'm not asking you that this morning. I'm asking you, will you, for the glory of Jesus Christ, set a Christ-like love upon your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what I'm asking you. That's what we're being challenged here. It It is a love, an active love of the will. It is the same type of love that God shows to those in Christ. I'm not saying it's devoid of emotions. Emotions come, interestingly enough, when you set your will on something. But it begins with with the will. In fact, I would define agape love as this. If you want a definition for it, it is a settled, committed, sanctifying devotion. That's agape love. It is a settled, committed, sanctifying devotion. That's the type of love that God has for us, and it's the type of love that we are to express towards each other, a settled, committed, sanctifying devotion. This is, interestingly enough, the exact same type of love that the early church showed each other in Acts chapter 2. If you remember verses 41 through 42, it states, Once they embraced the good news of Jesus Christ by faith, the early believers devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You could say that they had a settled, committed, sanctifying devotion for one another. 
They loved each other. And Peter tells us here that we are to express this settled, committed, sanctifying devotion towards each other. He says, earnestly. Earnestly. Now that's a vivid word in the Greek. If you follow it through Scripture, it paints the picture of being stretched out to extreme limits. In fact, Jesus uses this, the root of this very word over in John 21, verse 18, to warn that one day our very author Peter, his own arms would be stretched out to die by means of crucifixion one day for his Savior. Well, guess what? Peter takes that same word that Jesus talked to him about, and he says here, we're to love each other just like that we're to be so lovingly committed to each other's sanctification that we are willing to be stretched to the point of personal discomfort and pain and even if need be death for the eternal benefit of a fellow brother or sister in Christ this is a call towards total selflessness when it comes to those who bear the name of Christ. We're to love one another earnestly. You say, okay, pastor, but what does loving one another earnestly look like practically? You can say all day, love one another earnestly. What does that look like? Well, I think I could summarize it best in these two ways. Loving one another earnestly looks like first. You can write these down. We're going to describe it. First, Caring for each other's needs sacrificially. This is the first way, caring for one another's needs sacrificially. And second, loving one another earnestly looks like forgiving one another's sins abundantly. Forgiving one another's sins abundantly. So when we're called here to love one another earnestly, to the max, stretched out to the limits. What does that look like? That looks like caring for each other's needs sacrificially, and it looks like forgiving one another's sins abundantly. That's what it looks like to love one another earnestly. So it looks like first, caring for each other's needs sacrificially. This is exactly what the Apostle John says over in 1 John three sixteen through 18 which we had in our scripture reading this morning for a purpose, when the Apostle John says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. In other words, we ought to love one another earnestly. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. And here's what laying down our lives for each other looks like, and earnest love looks like. It says in verse, uh, verse 17, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. That's what laying down your life for your brother or sister in Christ looks like. It doesn't say, boy, I love you, brother. It looks like you're really struggling over here. You need help over here. You have a need over here. You have a want over here. Let me supply that for you. It's what loving one another looks like. It looks like richly caring for each other and generously meeting each other's needs even to the point where you're feeling the stretch. Even to the point where you sometimes feel the pain giving of your time, your energy, and your resources to where you feel it. We're to care for each other like that. 
It's one of the greatest evidences of our salvation, and it's one of the greatest attractions to the unsaved world, the sacrificial care and concern that believers have towards each other. Believers often falsely think that the world will be attracted to us if we can just develop the right evangelistic techniques. If we can create the right programs so we can advertise the most interesting outreach. But at the heart of it all, what an unbeliever truly needs to see from believers, whether they recognize it or not, is the earnest, sacrificial love and care of the church. The supernatural love of Christ within all those who are His is the most powerful testimony of all. And so what does loving one another earnestly look like? Well, first, it looks like caring for each other's needs sacrificially. Second, it looks like forgiving one another's sins abundantly. And we know this because Peter comes back to this idea of loving one another earnestly later on in chapter 4, verse 8, where there he says this, Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Exact same phrase. Why? Since love covers a multitude of what? sins. See, supernatural earnest love is what enables you and I to cover over and move past the multitude of personal annoyances, grudges, and even wrongful offenses and sins that occur against us in the body of Christ. See, we here at Grace Chapel, none of us are perfect. You will never find a church or ministry that is And so, if we're going to be able to demonstrate godly love to a watching world and a watching Christ, even as sinners, sinning saints, let me put it that way, together, then we're going to need to be able to do this. We're going to need to be able to respond to these everyday annoyances, grudges, and even sometimes sins, and bury them beneath an ocean of Christ-like love. Having been a pastor for over a decade I can tell you firsthand, there are far too many people in churches who hold grudges. In fact, sometimes they do better than the unbelievers I know. There are far too many people in churches who become bitter and unforgiving. There are far too many people in churches who take on a victim mentality. And then when you find out what's bothering them, because maybe something will finally erupt, right, and you try to deal with it, all of a sudden you find out it's not actually this and it's not actually just that. It's actually a hundred different million things that are so small and insignificant that should have been silently forgiven and covered over with the love of Christ years ago. And instead of being forgiven and released from all of that, Far too many people in churches have held on to every single one of those small annoyances and offenses and they've put them in a backpack and they've carried them around with them for years upon years upon years and they are crushed spiritually beneath the load until the weight of all of that anger and all of that bitterness is crushing them and, they, and all their relationships right where they're standing. And they're frozen in their service for Christ. And all the while, here's the deceptiveness of sin, all the while they're thinking that their problem is their church or the seven churches they've been a part of. Or their problem is all the people that's around them. Or their problem is, again, a thousand different things. And what they don't realize is that the problem is not around them. The problem is actually within them. They're not loving with the earnest love of Christ if they even know it. If they even know the love of Christ. That's why I say, beloved, beware, lest anyone who is here today under the sound of my voice is in bondage to your very own bitterness. 
Aren't you miserable if that's you today? We must keep on loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And by the way, I need to be clear. That's not saying that we ignore sinful patterns in each other's lives and just turn a blind eye and that's what Christian love is. No, I'm not saying that. Not at all. This is, again, a sanctifying devotion that you and I are to have towards each other, right? A sanctifying devotion. So earnest love doesn't mean overlooking unrepentant sinful ways of life. Galatians 6, one in fact, says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? Moved by love. And then Matthew 18 tells you how. So this verse is not saying don't deal with sin, but what it is saying is even when you deal with sin, be loving. If it was an uncharacteristic one-time offense, you ought to be able to let love cover that. And if it's part of a sinful pattern that requires correction and discipline, when it's repented of, guess what? You ought to let love cover that and forgive them. How many times? Matthew 18, 22, 70 times 7. In other words, stop keeping count. If they re- stop keeping count. Is that painful to forgive someone like that? Yeah. Is it hard? Yeah. Does it stretch you? <laughs> yeah. But is it Christ-like? Yes. Yes, it is. And so if you want to know what loving one another earnestly looks like, it looks like this. It looks like caring for each other's needs sacrificially, and it looks like forgiving each other's sins abundantly. This is how God loves us, and this is how we are to love one another. In fact, one is a good diagnostic on the other. When you stop being willing to care for someone's physical needs in the brothers and sisters in Christ, Sometimes it's indicative that there have been sins that you haven't been willing to forgive that person of on the inside. This is how God loves us. And we ought to love one another in the exact same way. This is what catches the world's attention. A supernatural, Christ-like love. Now before I finish this point, this passage is asking all of us this question. How am I doing in showing earnest love towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I living a life that is caring for other people's needs beginning in the body of Christ sacrificially? Am I living a life right now that is actively forgiving other people's sins abundantly? How am I doing expressing an earnest love towards the believers that God has put around me beginning in this place? So let me challenge you. Who do you know in our faith family that has a real need? You might say, I don't know of anybody. Then I ask the second question, who in this church family do you know? Because you should know each other well enough to know each other's needs. Who do you know that's struggling financially? Who do you know that's struggling emotionally? Who do you know that's struggling spiritually? Who do you know in our church that's in sorrow right now? Who do you know in our church that is, that's in sickness right now? Who do you know in our church that is in sin right now? Love one another earnestly. One pastor, 
even a board of elders can't be kept aware of all those needs nor meet them all. That's why Ephesians says this is the work of the body of Christ. Right? This is the glory of the body of Christ to earnestly love one another. And so I want to encourage you from this passage this morning, before I even go on any further, to examine yourself, to consider in what ways God might be calling you to stretch out in your love and to care for that need that God has providentially let you know about because He's let you know about it so that you would help meet it. Love one another earnestly. Notice it says, from a pure heart. Oops, those are all the verses. There you go. From a pure heart. (laughs) From a pure heart. See, we're to earnestly want this. It's to be from a pure heart. Not because we have to love like this, but because we want to love like this. We should want to show the sacrificial care of Jesus Christ. Right? We should want to imitate and show the rich forgiveness of our Savior. And if we don't want to do that towards a certain individual or many, right, then we need to go back to verse 22, the beginning of verse 22, and let our hearts be purified beneath a submission to the truth. Christ has laid down His life for me. How can I close my heart to my brother or sister in need? Christ has forgiven me of all of my sins currently ongoing. How can I hold forgiveness back from my brother or sister in Christ? If your earnest love, beloved, towards another brother or sister in Christ is drying up, let me encourage you to soak in the truths of the Gospel for a while. Let your heart be made pure by obedience to the truth so that you might be able to sincerely love one another earnestly so that your heart yearns to be able to forgive that person, not aches against avoiding them. Be watered by the truth of the Gospel. Now you might be thinking right now, Pastor, cool, but that's impossible. Right? To show this type of settled, committed, sanctifying care and devotion to each other and to keep on showing it past many needs and many offenses, even to the point of sacrifice and pain. Maybe some of you are thinking, have you taken a good look around this room, Pastor? Have you looked at yourself, Pastor? (laughs) It's impossible to show a love like this to a people like this. To which I would reply, I do see this room. And I do see myself. But do you know what I also see? I see the cross. I see Christ. I see Him dying on that tree, paying the wages for all of my offenses, all of my sins, and I see God in His Son loving me, stretched out with a love that, yes, is impossible, and yet He loves me that way nonetheless. And I see a God who has an impossible love. I see the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish and spot. I see an impossible love that has already been poured out on us impossible people. 
And I know that the God who owns this love can give this love to me. So there's no excuse. That brings us to our final point. We've seen the prerequisite to loving one another. We've seen the prescription for loving one another. Now let's consider the power for loving one another. That's in verses 23 through 25. Peter says that we as elect exiles can devotedly love one another continually like this to the max, verse 23, because he says this, you have been born again. You've been born again. This is the reason why we can love like this, because we have been, just as verse 3 said of this chapter, born again. We have been made new in Christ Jesus, and as new creations in Christ, we now have the ability to love each other with a supernatural love with which God has loved us. We have been gifted this type of love in Christ. As Romans 5, five says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And as Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. God has loved us and now we as His children have the power to love our fellow siblings in Christ as well. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In other words, it's part of our new nature. It comes built into the Gospel. right? Once God has forgiven you, you then know how to forgive others. And once God has shown kindness to you, you then know how to show kindness to others. When you are born again, you are taught by the Spirit how to love one another, and you are equipped to love one another by God's own Spirit of love. Now that's all fine and good at a principial level. But Peter knows that it gets a whole lot harder when you're dealing with actual people and actual offenses that are actually affecting you. And Peter knew that there would probably be someone in his audience thinking, okay, I get it. I'm born again. I should earnestly love the believers God has given me around here in this local church, but <sighs> look at Fred over there. Yeah? God clearly didn't have Fred in mind when he wrote this because look at Fred. Man, Fred is the worst, right? There is no way I can show steadfast love towards a guy like Fred. I might be born again, but this new birth that God has given me uh, isn't strong enough to show steadfast love to the likes of Fred. By the way, if your name is Fred this morning, I apologize. <laughs> I don't think there is, but anyway. Peter's response in this passage is, yes, it is strong enough. It is. You can love every believer, even Fred's, right? Earnestly, out of a pure heart, because you've been born again. Listen to this, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now you have to ask yourself, why would Peter go there? That seems kind of random, right? I mean, why would he begin to describe, uh, not only in this verse and in the verses following, the means by which God is caused to be born again? Isn't that a little strange in a discussion about loving one another earnestly? Why does he sudden transition into talking about the nature of God's word? Well, hold on to your pew because this is really something. Let's see this. First, Peter says that you have been born again of a seed. Think about what a seed does, especially when it comes from a plant, right? When a seed is planted, that seed's unique characteristics are carried on in the new life that comes from that seed, right? So for example, since I used to have apple trees in Pennsylvania, if you plant a, the seed of a hearty red apple, you get a hearty red apple tree, 
right? And if you plant the seed of a sweet green apple, you get a sweet green apple tree, right? It's a basic principle. The new life always possesses the characteristics of the seed that created it. Well, here, Peter says our new life was created by a seed that is not imperishable, but that is not perishable, but is imperishable. In other words, our new life in Christ possesses an imperishable quality to it. Because we've been born again, as the end of verse 23 says, through the living and abiding Word of God, we're born again through the Word of God. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing from the what? Word of Christ. <laughs> James 1.18, by His own will, He brought us forth by the what? Word of truth. And as Jesus says so bluntly in John 8, verse 11, when He talks about the parable of the soils, He says the seed is the Word of God. And as Peter says here, this Word of God is living and abiding. In other words, it possesses a quality of being alive, of being active, of being at work. And it possesses the quality also of abiding and remaining. As Jesus says in Luke 21, verse 33, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. The seed of our new birth. So listen to this. The seed of our new nature and everything that comes from it is living and abiding. And then Peter proves this in verses 24 through 25 by quoting Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 8, where he says this, All flesh is like grass in all of its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. Everything that comes from the flesh, by the way, is the exact same way. But the word of the Lord remains forever. So putting this all together, this seed that created this new spiritual life within us is both living and abiding. It is both imperishable and remaining forever. And the Word of God creates things that are alive. The Word of God creates things that abide. The Word of God creates things that remain forever. So do you see where this is going? And he makes it very clear at the end of verse 25. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So this is the seed that regenerated you. That's what Peter's saying. This is the seed that brought you new birth in the gospel. So if the word of God, if the good news, if the gospel of Jesus Christ creates things that are alive, that abide, and that remain forever, then what type of love do you think the gospel planted in you when you first believed? It planted in you a love that is alive, a love that abides, and a love that remains forever. In other words, it planted in you an earnest love comes built in to being a believer in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can love one another earnestly. And so if you're struggling to show this type of stretching, caring, forgiving, sacrificial love, where do you need to go? Where do you need to go to foster a love that is alive, that abides and that remains forever? Where do you need to go to grow a more earnest love? You must go to the Word of God. The good news that was first preached to you. Go there. When you look at Fred and you're wondering, how in the world am I supposed to love Fred? Go to the good news that was first preached to you. And listen to what God has to say about you. And listen to what God has to say about the love that he has shed upon you. And then take a good look at Fred. And suddenly you'll realize, yes, the reason why I'm having a hard time loving Fred is because I'm walking in the flesh and I'm not walking in the power of the Spirit that was given to me the moment I first believed. You must go to the Word of God, the good news that was first preached to you. Stay close to the Gospel. 
Stay close to the same Word that created life in you because it imparts life to you. A living and abiding, imperishable life that creates a living and abiding, imperishable love. The same good news that poured God's love into your own heart is the same good news that purifies you so that you can pour that same love into the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. And so this goes right back full circle to what we saw in verse 22. Purifying your hearts by, a, by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We must be receiving the living and abiding word of God for ourselves, reminding ourselves of the gospel, of Christ's love, if we are to be giving a living and abiding and remaining love to others. And this is exactly where Peter is going to direct us next week when he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, So put away all malice, and all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and all envy, and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that's the word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We'll have to look at that next week. But for now, I want to encourage you, as God does here, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. If you are recognizing that you are being tested in this area right now, run back to the good news that was first preached to you. Look long and hard at the love of your Savior. Do not abandon this second most fundamental way to exalt Jesus Christ in our day and age. And to reach the lost. It starts right here. We must get this right. We must get this right. Do not, as Hebrews says, let a root of bitterness grow up in your hearts. Love one another earnestly. Seek each other out. Get to know each other. Meet each other's needs. Forgive one another. And keep on reaching out, reaching out until your arms look like the arms of our Savior on the cross. Because this type of sincere, earnestly brotherly love, it is the greatest sign of your new birth and of a new life that will never perish, never wither, never die. The world is looking for this. Christ is looking for this. And by God's grace, we can demonstrate this to one another for the glory of Christ. Let's give ourselves to this very thing. And this is the word of God from 1 Peter 1, 22-25, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of each other until Christ returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you for reminding us of the love of Christ even as we consider the love that we ought to show to each other. Father, we thank You that Christ gave of Himself sacrificially. That He who was rich became poor so that we, through His poverty, might be made rich. And that when He went to that cross, He took the cup of every single sin and offense and He drank it full strength so that we might be forgiven. 
how, Father, can we as servants of Christ look towards each other and hold back forgiveness? How can we hold back caring for each other when we see the forgiveness and the care of Christ shed so richly upon us and so richly upon our brothers and sisters, each and every one of them. So Father, I pray that you would give us grace this week. If this is an area that we are struggling with, Father, keep us near the cross. Help us to look into the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And help us to love one another earnestly out of a pure heart for the honor of Christ and the salvation of the lost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.